We here at Grace Life would love to help you discover Jesus' unconditional love and grace for you. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you and further establish you in the truth of God's Word. So we're looking at um, God's dream for the world. God's dream for the world. And we've been touching on it now for four weeks going. And I thought this is an interesting one that we use for marketing this week. Uh, obviously, uh, in Stellenbosch, we get bad rap for every time we preach about wine. But um, that's just, uh, it's godly, amen? So, Jesus turned water into wine. It was his first miracle. So, if this starts turning red, tell me. Okay, then I know. <laughs> now, we're looking at what is God's plan. Why are we here, basically? That's one of the major questions people have. Why are we here? Not just here on a Sunday morning. Why are we here? Why did God create us? But Hebrews 11, uh, verse 39 and 40 gives us a clue. It says, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. So speaking about the heroes of faith, and he says there's more to be had. Verse 40 says, For God had something better in mind for us. And this is the, um, basically the, the slogan or the subtitle for our, our series. God had something better in mind for us, so that they would not reach perfection without us. So what did God have in mind? What is this something better? And I just love um, how the church grows and the influence and uh, how uh, I get feedback. And last week, Sunday after the service, someone shared with me Jeremiah 29, 11, And they said, but this is the promise that God had, but the promise has come true. It is real. It is done. Because this is one of the verses, Jeremiah 29, 11, that we put on fridge magnets and screensavers. And we think God is going to like super abundantly bless us. We're going to have bigger cars and we're going to own a wine farm and we're going to do all these things. Because it says, for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord, thoughts and plans of welfare and peace and not for evil to give you hope in your final outcome. The passion, uh, sorry, the Amplified Classic. I love that at the end it says to give you hope in your final outcome. Now remember when this is written, this is written by Jeremiah the prophet before Jesus comes to earth. So he says, I know the plans that God has. He's speaking on behalf of God. God has a plan to give you a future and a hope. Some of the translation says an expected end. Okay, so that's hope. But if you think a mother is expecting, so it says at the end, there's going to be a birth. So at your end, at the death, there's going to be a birth. And that's what the expected end is. And that's obviously referring to the everlasting life. That's referring to the outpouring of the Spirit. So sorry for bursting some of your bubbles this morning. But this is better than you thought because it's come true already. Amen? This is such a good thing that we know the final outcome is good because the final outcome is Christ in us. The hope of glory. So this is a life-giving plan. This is something I shared last year. And then through last Sunday's message... The Holy Spirit worked this in someone and they came to me and says, but this is true already. And I said, amen, brother, you know it. So I wanted to share that with you and kick off with that. This is the promise. What did God have in mind? He had an expected outcome, hope for our future. Now, one of the questions in the Bible is, uh, or that people have about the Bible is about the, um, the baker and the cupbearer. Who's ever heard about the baker and the cupbearer? Okay, this is the story of Joseph. And uh, Joseph goes... To prison on one of his many adventures in life. Jojo is Mr. Yo-Yo, if you will. He's up and down the whole time. But he is whatever he, wherever he is, he, ra- he rises to the top. And then life hits him and he just rises to the top again. He goes to prison and he becomes the number one prisoner. He actually becomes the manager. He goes to Egypt and he becomes the prime minister. Um, he becomes a slave and he just 
starts managing the property. So this guy has really something about, about him, and we know that it's God. But Genesis 40, um, and I'm just going to read for the, for the story's sake from verse 1, says, Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Okay, that's not something you want to do. So Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. You see, Joseph is a prisoner, but now all of a sudden Joseph is managing people. That's not the point I want to make this morning, just note that. So while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. Okay, so these guys are in prison, and now they have dreams. And um, now when Joseph saw them, verse 6, the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now, just a side note, we always default to the word, not to dreams. Okay? Um, but this is the interpretation of a dream in the word, so that's why we know that we can, we can go and get some substance here. I'm going to jump to verse 9. that says, So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he had, or he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup, then placed it, the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Okay, so this guy he is the diskunker, the cup bearer. He has a dream, and in this dream, he, um, he has Pharaoh's cup, and he takes some grapes, and he squeezes it in his, into the cup, and then he gives it to Pharaoh. And Joseph says in verse 12, this is what the dream means. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as chief cup bearer. Okay, so when we read the Bible, when we study the word, there's this concept of double meaning. Okay, who's ever heard of that? So there's a narrative, there's a story, but that's not all there is. Okay, so what we're going to look at, we're going to look at what is more uh, what that God wants to share with us this morning. And if you ask you, um, let's read verse 16. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to G Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate them from the basket on my head. Now Joseph says, this is what the dream means. The three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale you, your body on a pole. Then birds will come and peck away at your flesh. Not what the baker expected. Okay, so now the question is why? Why? Is it just coincidence? What is the meaning? Why would the cupbearer be restored and, uh, and, and the baker be um, condemned? To death, death like crucifixion, impaled on a pole. So there's many clues here if you see three days um, impaled, like you've got the bread and the wine concept. So there's, there's lots for us. It's not just because someone, I asked someone this question and said, yeah, but you don't need to eat when you have good wine. I'm like, yeah, but that's not, the <laughs> that's not what we're trying to do here. So I was asking myself this. Why was the cupbearer restored while the baker was impaled or crucified? Now, just a side note, this is the same reason why Abel's offer was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Think about it. What did Abel offer? Abel offered blood. Cain offered grain. It's not about the offering, but it is about what they believed. 
So why did Abel offer blood? Yes, he was obviously, um, he was a farmer of animals, so he made a sacrifice of what he had. But Cain could have just bought some of that and then sacrificed something. Because you know there's a message, and it says that Christ has been there and laid out as the hope of the world since the foundation or before the foundation of the earth. So the gospel is nothing new. Jesus is not plan B. Jesus is the reason why we are here, not just for the Christmas season. Amen? So Jesus is the reason, and that is that God would live in us. So this deeper truth that God, the Spirit, wants to communicate through this happening here in Pharaoh's um, palace is that, listen guys, there are two things here. There's bread and there's wine. And there's a deeper meaning because the blood, if you will, is the wine. But after three days, the blood gives life where the body stays behind. Amen? Romans 8 verse 10 and 11 speaks about the Spirit gives life even to our mortal bodies. But the Spirit is what we cannot see. The Spirit is the eternal covenant and it is done through blood. So really, right there, Genesis 40, you already have a prophecy about what God is going to do. Jesus' body is going to, de- uh, like, he's going to die and His blood is going to be poured out, yes. But after three days, He's going to rise again. The body stays where it is like the old body the word says we get a new body but now the blood flows and then it activates something else it activates new wine which is the spirit so if i'm going to ask you about the baker and the debucker and the skunker or the cup bearer and the baker um i spoke to a friend of mine who is a chef and he says yes it's just much more hard work to be a baker than a, a, a cup bearer because you have to get up at three in the morning start baking at five he says and then like pharaoh just kills you <laughs> that's not fair where the other guy just tastes wine and pours wine and you get up whenever um, it's, it's not fair but you see the deeper meaning there where it's prophesying actually about the natural and the spiritual in this narrative in the story we see the restoration if you will of the spiritual covenant the outpouring and remember I'm in week four now of the series so I'm, I'm touching on I'm, I'm, I'm taking things that I've said like Pentecost is the harvest festival it is where they poured out the first fruits of the harvest. So that is really the concepts that we're taking into this message today. And I'm not just uh, crazy jumping into Genesis 40 and, uh, and giving you some highlights there. But the, the, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Okay, that's so important. And now God restores, if you will, the outpouring. And hence the nice red wine picture. God doesn't want you in the flesh. He wants you in the Spirit. God doesn't want you to serve Him at five in the morning through baking and working and efforting. No, that part of it is dead. That is gone. That is after three days. Jesus didn't raise in the old body. He raised in a resurrected new body. And then He went to heaven. He ascended and then He poured out, if you will, the Spirit, which is the new wine. And the Word says the new wine is better. Better than the old. In our minds, natural thinking, old wine is better. Okay, if it's good wine, old wine, it's better than until it goes to, to vinegar. But it's really amazing to see that the new wine is really the restoration. And if you look at the dream of the cup bearer, it is fresh grapes that he squeezed. So don't miss that detail. It means he didn't go take it from a barrel. He took it from new grapes, the fruit of the vine. And Jesus speaks about it um, at the last meal. I'm so excited to get to the last meal um, that I'm going to share with you now. Um, I told the team I've got something new, something fresh, something I've never seen and never shared. And it wasn't the baker and the cup bearer, even though that's pretty awesome, I think, too. So Romans 8 and verse 10 says, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If Christ be in you, what is dead? The body, the baker, the bread. But the spirit, the new wine, is life. Because now that spirit is in you. But don't miss the part there at the end that says because of righteousness. Wow, that's a key and we're going to have to dig into that one of these weeks. Because the spirit is only now available because righteousness has been attained. Okay? What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Okay? Then he says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, it says... He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become what? The righteousness of God, where? In Christ Jesus. So because of righteousness, now the Spirit is available. Because righteousness has been restored, now the Spirit is welcome. Now the Spirit is able to live in us. So yes, Christ had to die like the baker on a pole. Interesting that those details are there. The baker was impaled on a cross. I don't know how it works really like why he had to die so we can have the story okay it's not God's doing it's just how God takes something bad and then makes a story it wasn't God's decision for him to die it was Pharaoh's but yet in that the spirit works and shows us there's something more so Romans 8 and verse 10 says if Christ is in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness the natural, the carnal, the fleshly is depicted by the bread, the body that was broken. The body is broken for you, but the blood is poured out. The spiritual life, the Zoe life is depicted by the wine, the outpouring of the Spirit. And I have to just quickly touch on last week's message where we looked at John 10.10 10 and we said, For Jesus came, why? So that He can give life and that He could give it abundantly or until it overflows. And the life that Jesus gave is Zoe. And now we have this in um, John, oh, sorry, Romans 8, where it says the Spirit is life. It says the Spirit is Zoe. Okay, so when Jesus says in John 10, this is why I came to give you something. What is it that He gives us? He gives us life. He gives us God's kind of life. He gives us the Zoe kind of life. Romans 8 and verse 10 now says that life that Jesus promised is in the Spirit. Not just in the Spirit, it is the Spirit. Because what is the part of you that's going to live forever? It's the Spirit. If God gives you life, He gives you Zoe, what is His kind of life, and God is a Spirit, then obviously that needs to be something spiritual. So how do we get everlasting life? We believe the gospel of peace, the message of our salvation. We receive the Holy Spirit and we actually live forever. You see, it's not a separate thing because the Word clearly says here that without the Spirit, you are not part of Christ. And we had a, had a mindset where we want to get part of Christ and then get the Spirit. So we had this idea where there's spiritual Christianity and they are the ones who go to Ukraine and then there's this, us normal folks here who maybe speak to the tea lady about Jesus. No. Purpose, passion, power for everyone. No excuses. Just invitations to this great life. Now we receive that until it overflows. God's dream for the world is not just that He would fill us, but that He would fill us with His Spirit unto overflowing. Look at John 6, 63 from the ESV. He says, It is the Spirit that gives life. Wow. You see, once you get this concept, all of a sudden it jumps up all over the world. Uh, the word it says, The body is of no value for that. But the things I have told you are from the Spirit, so they give life. 
Zoe. So they give Zoe. So they give what I've planned. The New Living Translation says, The Spirit alone gives eternal life. I like it. That settles it. Like, you have to be really clever to get around that. And you're going to be so clever, you're going to misunderstand yourself. It says here, Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The Amplified Classic says, It is the Spirit who gives life. He is the life giver. Just if you didn't understand that, He is the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit whatsoever. There is no profit in it. The words, the truth that I've spoken and have been speaking to you are spirit and life. We looked at John 10 uh, last week, just to read it and recap. It says, I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. Amplified Bible says, I came that they may have and enjoy life. Wow. Did you see Timothy? Did you see the joy? He's in the war zone. He's jumping up and down planes and, 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 and trains with refugees. He's seeing the worst that this world has to offer. But there's a purpose. There's a passion. There's a power in it. There's a light that shines because we are called for such a time as this. It says, the words, the truths I've shared with you, they are spirit and life. I've come that you may have it, have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So God came to give you Zoe life, but He wants to overflow in you. The passion says, more than you expect life in its fullness until you overflow. I like that. It's not just the life that overflows, but we need to allow God's life in us to overflow. And how does that happen? It happens by stepping out. It happens by laying on of hands. It happens when you open your mouth and you speak and you say, hey, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? Hey, how are you doing? Um, did, have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about good news? And then wherever that goes, I listened to something from Todd White the other day, and he says, can, he tell, can I tell you, who knows who Todd White is? Okay, Todd White's the guy who goes and does all the, the crazy miracles, and he just calls it normal Christianity, or lifestyle Christianity. What he's trying to convey is, hey, this is not me, this is for all of us. Okay, that's what he's conveying, and he said, can I tell you a secret, how I do this? And this guy on the other side of the conversation said, yes, please. He says, I said, hey, how are you doing? That's how he starts his conversation. Hey, how are you doing? And whatever that is, then he lets the Spirit guide and lead, and then he moves and he ministers from that place. So, so important. John 1, verse 4. Remember I said this is since the foundation of the world. In him was life, Zoe, and the life, the Zoe, was the light of man. The Spirit is the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. Now we are. And the word says, do not be hid. A city on a hill cannot be hid. You've got the Spirit in you. You're going to stand out. Amen? You're going to stand out, whether you like it or not. You're going to stand out. Luke 22. This is where I wanted to get. Luke 22. So there's many uh, accounts of um, the Last Supper, if you will. Um, I like to call it the fulfilling of the Passover. So Jesus came to do a bunch of things. He came to give us life and abundance. He came to give us Zoe. He came to give us the Spirit. Amen? If you need to know that, that is why Jesus came. He came not to die on a cross. He came to give you the Spirit. He had to die on a cross to give you the Spirit. And He was willing to do that. He says, for the joy that was set before Him. He did what? Endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, according to Hebrews. What is the joy? It's a good question. And we say it's us. Yes, it's us. But what about us? It is the outpouring of the Spirit 
on us. That's the harvest feast. That's, you know, feast and joy go together. Last week we were at the wedding of uh, Rudolf and Celeste, and there was joy. Amen. There was why there's covenant, there's love, there's purpose, there's passion. We've got power. That is what we do. So Jesus comes and he fulfills many things. You need to know that. You need to realize that's so important. So he fulfills Passover. He, say fulfill. He doesn't change it. Now some of you get nervous. He doesn't change Passover. He fulfills Passover. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. Okay. Here we go. Awesome. All. No, I came to fulfill. So the feasts were part of the law and the prophets. The law is what the Torah, the first five books, and the prophets, most of the prophecies, if not all, speaks from that foundation and says things that interprets and colors in and highlights what Moses said in the first five books, the law, the Torah. So Jesus goes and he fulfills the Passover. And it's, it's in John, it's in Mark, it's in Matthew, and I want to look at Luke 22, Luke's account. Then Romans verse 13 says, And when they had found it, the place, just as he had said to them, they made ready the Passover supper. And when the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. So what does it mean, the hour came? There's a specific set of things that you had to do in the Passover, at a specific time, at a specific place, in a specific way. Because that is the only way that your oldest child lived. Remember, this is the Passover. The Passover comes from Exodus, the night before they left Egypt. And they said, everyone is going to die unless, except if you eat the lamb, drink the wine, the unleavened bread, and you put the blood on the doorposts. Okay. If you're a parent, you took note when Moses spoke. If you didn't, you regretted it because you lost your child. So, this is the background, and there's a sacrifice of a lamb, and then there's blood, there's unleavened bread, which speaks about the sinless bread, and then there's wine, which is the, the feast. So it's a feast, it's a celebration, but it's specific. And I've never seen this, maybe you have, and you think I'm just behind, but that's fine. Let's look at it. Luke 22 verse 13 says, And they went and found it. So Jesus says, there's a place, this is where you're going to prepare, and they made ready, they cooked the meat, they bribed the, the scarf, like, I mean, the spit is all, this lacquer. Jesus came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly and intensely desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This was a highlight of Jesus' ministry. This was something that he looked forward to. And it wasn't because he was hungry, and because they had good wine. It was more, there's more significance to this. He says, For I say to you, I shall eat it no more until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What is fulfilled? The Passover. So he's speaking about the fulfilling of a feast. Now he says, verse 17, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide and distribute it among yourselves. Okay, so what do we have? We have a room. It's pretty cool how they got the room. That is the, the first 13 verses, you can go read that. They get this room, they make ready, and now Jesus says, this is the meal, this is the feast that is going to be fulfilled, and I'm not going to have, I'm not going to enjoy this feast with you again, because it's going to be fulfilled. He says until, but it is also because. Because he's not again going to fulfill it in the natural. 
He says everything that is Moses, everything that Moses built, how did he come about the altar? How did he come about the mercy seat? How did he come about those things? Hebrews says it is what he saw that is actually going on in heaven, and he built a prototype, if you will, on earth. Okay, so the real thing is happening not where we can see with the eyes, but where we live in the Spirit. You, you, you're good with that. Even Hebrews says, here mortal men receive tithes, but there in heaven it's received. So it's speaking about there's a deeper meaning, there's a spiritual reality. And what Jesus is doing is taking the feast in the natural, but the fulfilling of the kingdom is spiritual. Okay, so remember the baker, remember the cup bearer. Okay, there's a reason I shared that, it wasn't just FYI. So they both go to prison, but only one gets restored. You're going to see this now. This is amazing. So now we come to Passover. And we have the lamb, we have the bread, and we have the wine. And Jesus says, I have been earnestly desiring to eat this meal with you. Since when has he been desiring to fulfill this? Not since Exodus. No, when Joseph had the dreams of the, bear, the baker and the cupbearer, God already had this in mind. When Cain and Abel offered, God already had this in mind. It means before the foundation of the earth, God already had this fulfillment in mind. Okay? It wasn't just because Pharaoh was evil with Joseph and then Pharaoh was evil with the Israelites a few hundred years later. No, that is just part of the narrative. But now look at it. It says, I have desired to eat this with you. And now he takes the... Um, sorry, verse 17. He takes a cup. And when he'd given thanks, he said, take this and divide it and distribute it among yourselves. Again, very important. The first time the cup is mentioned. Verse 18. For I say to you that from now on I shall not drink of the fruit of the vine at all until the kingdom of God comes. What did the cup bearer do in his dream? The fruit of the vine. And he squeezed it into a cup. Okay, but Jesus says, I'm not going to do this again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now he says, until the kingdom of God comes. So that's the cup. Verse 19, he takes a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. The body is broken. And gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Okay, maybe you say, okay, Peter, what's up? I know this. Wait. He says, do this. Or th Actually, he says, what you're doing now has always been in remembrance of me. The bread and the wine has always spoken about the one who is to come. Has always spoken about the new covenant. Has always spoken about the Son of God coming. Since Abel, since Cain, since before that. So, you guys are with me. Takes a cup, prays over the cup. He says everyone has a sip, takes the bread, breaks the bread, gives it to everyone, enjoy, this is my body. This is not bread really, but in the spiritual world, this is my body, broken for you. And then usually that's where we stop and we, we go. We go have dinner or lunch or whatever. If it's an evening service, you go have dinner. If it's a morning service, you go have lunch. But anyway, verse 20 hit me like a ton of bricks this week. Because in verse 20 it says, And in like manner he took the cup after supper. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's already taken the cup. In verse 17 it says, And he took a cup. Then he takes the bread. And now we get to verse 20, and he says, In like manner, he took a cup after supper. 
And I was like, this is weird. And it's only Luke who has this, this detail of the second cup. Now, I don't want to say raise your hands, but if you've never seen this, then you're in good company, because I've also never seen this. So he takes a cup a second time, after supper, saying, this cup, not the cup that we did previously, this cup, the after supper cup, is what? Is the New Testament or covenant ratified in my blood, which is shed and poured out for you. So the first cup represents the blood of Christ. Because you cut... That was cool, huh? You cut the throat of the sacrifice and it bleeds out before you eat the meat. Okay? You can ask Julius. He's a, a butcher. That's what you do. So there's, there's the first cup which is the outpouring of the blood for everyone. Then there's the meat which is the sacrifice, the body. But that is not where it ends. Because after you have now partaken of the body of Christ, the sacrifice, he takes a second cup, a specific cup, it's called the after supper cup or the after dinner cup, and he says this cup is not like the first cup. Okay? He says, but this cup is the new covenant. Yes, it is ratified in my blood, but it is poured out. Now what we think is the blood is poured out. I don't think that's what this verse means. The covenant is poured out. The spirit is poured out. It is ratified in his blood, which has flown because of the, sa uh, the sacrifice of his body. But now 50 days later, Penta 5, after what? After Passover, 50 days, 5 the number of grace, 50 days later, the second cup is fulfilled. Right there, the first cup and the bread is fulfilled. But 50 days later, at Pentecost, the harvest feast, you can go look at the Greek words there, it literally means the outpouring of a drink from a cup. Jesus didn't just come to die. He had to die. He came so that we could have Zoe. So that we could have the Spirit. And it had to happen through the shedding of the blood, through the breaking of His body. But He has arrived and He is new and He's refreshed and He's now alive in the Spirit, never ever to die again. And it says, He says then before He goes up to heaven, it says, All authority in heaven and earth. And we think golden pearly gates. Now heaven is spiritual realm. And on earth, natural realm has been given to me. He has fulfilled the feast in the natural and in the spiritual. The second cup is the outpouring of the Spirit. The first cup is the shedding of blood. Do you get that? Does that, does that help? I don't want to ask who's seen it before because I haven't seen it before, but it makes sense so much for me. It says, this cup is the New Testament or covenant ratified with my blood, which is shed or poured out for you. Which is shed for you. Poured out is the, key, the amplified. Now we look and we think the blood is poured out. It might be, but that's not the only thing that was poured out. Remember, if you think covenant, if you read covenant, think promise. This is a key for you in Bible study. When you read covenant, think promise. Last week I was at that wedding and it was a celebration of 
covenant. But what did they do? They made promises to each other. God says, I know the plans. I know the promise I have for you. What is the promise? Thank you, Lord, for Galatians 3 and verse 14 that says, So that the promise of Abraham could be fulfilled, which is the outpouring of the Spirit. The covenant, the new covenant, is not just God is not going to be angry with you. God wants blood and He wants the, the feasts. and he wants No, the new covenant is the new way of relating. The old covenant, if you will, is natural, man. And it is laws and do's and don'ts. And if you have a scab, don't do this. And if you have this, go do that. And wash yourself and separate yourself. It's all to do with the bread. It's all to do with the flesh. But now there's a new covenant. And the word speaks about a spirit covenant. Yes, we call it grace. But grace is only part of it. Because 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 14, which I'm going on and on and on every week about, says the love of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we say, thank you, Lord. So glad I didn't have to bring my sheep. And you'll see what these scarf prices and fleece prices and petrol prices. So glad. Thank you, Lord. But there's more, like a very mark ad. Huh? There's more. But wait, there's more. What's more? The fellowship. The friendship. The power. The intimacy. The closeness. Of whom? The Holy Spirit. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son which is the payment of grace. That whosoever believe will not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Zoe. Life. That whosoever believes will have Zoe. Whosoever believes will have the Spirit. Whosoever believes will have the everlasting. Because God has always intended for us to have intimate fellowship and friendship with Him. And the only way that that is possible is through the Spirit. Why? For God is a spirit. Moses says, I want to see you, God. He shows him his glory. He shows him his backside, his glory. You want to look into God face to face? The Hebrew, there's no such word as presence. It's face to face encounter. What is that? It's intimacy. When I have to have difficult conversations with people, I don't always like to go for coffee and sit across the table from each other because it's intimidating. Why? Because it's into me you see. We go for a walk or we drive somewhere. Have you seen conversation happens easier when you go for a walk or you drive somewhere? or Like, it just, like it's natural, but God wants FaceTime with you. Presence. Eye-to-eye contact. And God is a spirit, so He had to give you something spiritual in order to reach that unity, that oneness. So there's a second cup. And the second cup is not the payment of sins. It is the price that he attained because of the payment of sins. The second cup is not the blood. Yes, it is ratified because of the blood, but like the baker whose body was broken and impaled on a cross, and the cup bearer who was put in prison, now takes new wine and he squeezes it into a cup. And the word says, the new wine is better. Can I put a cherry on top of that cake for you? Who does the cupbearer give the cup to? Abraham? Moses? David? Pharaoh. He gives it to Pharaoh. For God so loved the world. For God so loved Pharaoh. For God so loved Vladimir Putin. 
that He gave His Son. So when we pray, we don't pray just for peace. We pray for gospel increase. Yes, we can pray that the shedding of blood, the first cup, should stop and the breaking of bread, the bodies, should stop. Yes, that's a good prayer. But we have more to pray for. We have more to give. We've got spiritual, supernatural, everlasting life. The new wine is the better wine. And I don't know about you, I enjoy this new wine so much. I grew up in church and it was what it was. But maybe it's just my eyes that has gone open. And I see these things and I read through the Word. And the whole of Friday afternoon I was studying these cups and looking at the different translations and different gospel accounts because I don't want to come here and tell you something that is not true or that is just that I see, but there's more. But you're going to have to wait for Easter uh, to hear about that because uh, I'm already writing that message. But the second time the cup is mentioned, it is the outpouring of the Spirit that is promised. The eternal life through the Spirit. Let's close with John 7, 37. says, Now on the final day, the most important day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried in a loud voice, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, who cleaves to and trusts in me and relies on me, as the Scripture has said, from his innermost being shall flow continuously springs and rivers of living water. But he was speaking here of the Spirit, whom those who believed, trusted, and faith in, in him afterwards would receive. So even the feast there is spoken of the Spirit. For the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, because Christ was not yet glorified. Yes, his blood wasn't shed, his body wasn't broken, but there's a second cup. And it is not just the forgiveness of sins. It is the ability to live forever and to do so abundantly. To do so in an over flowing way. The Passion says, but the Holy Spirit had not yet been poured out upon them. Last week I wanted to take this bottle and pour it out to make dramatic effect. And I still haven't drunk enough of it and I don't think the hotel will be happy still. But we must really do that. Someone must remind me. Then it was poured out. And once it's poured out, do you think it's going back into the cup? Never. God is not going to take the Holy Spirit back. Amen. (laughs) He's given His Son to buy the privilege, to take back the authority, to pour out the Spirit on us. He wants to live in you. He wants to live through you. He wants to do it today. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like us to pray with you, please contact us at info at gracelife.co. If you'd like to order more resources or discover more about us, you can visit our website at www.gracelife.co or find us on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube.